Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. During the COVID-19 public health emergency, many residency programs and medical schools are reinventing how they operate. Much has been accomplished quickly and with great ingenuity, and we'll be sharing some of those stories of adaptability and learner engagement on this podcast. For the time being, this podcast will be hosted by me, Brian Hischer, Manager of Online Education at STFM. When things return to something more normal, our regular host, Dr. Saria Carter-Sicosio, will be back with us to take up her hosting duties. I recently spoke with Dr. Alicia Ludenschlatter about rapidly shifting to an online curriculum due to COVID-19. Dr. Ludenschlatter, thank you so much for joining me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, uh, I'm really excited for this. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my background and then some of my my interest in online education and how COVID has really pushed that front and center. So I am um, assistant professor at the University of Missouri. We're in Columbia, Missouri, which is just smack dab in the middle of the state. I did everything at Mizzou. So I did college, medical school, residency, and then a two-year academic fellowship all at Mizzou. And now I work here and go Tigers. I love it. Um, My job is a good mix. I uh, have my busy outpatient clinic. I do inpatient attending, supervising the residents, and I do a lot of medical school and resident teaching. Um, A lot of that is curriculum development. I actually had an interest in online education before COVID hit because my fellowship program, which my degree through that was a master's of science in academic medicine, that master's program was almost exclusively online. Um, Almost all Mizzou online courses, a lot of higher level biostatistics, epidemiology, courses specifically about how to design a solid research study, um, write grants, a lot of um, online work on how to interpret studies done through the Canvas platform. Uh, Canvas is the platform that Mizzou uses. And I had a blast. And my fellow students were busy physicians from all different specialties all over the country. So there was um, an ENT in Texas, a radiologist in Atlanta. Um, We had really rich discussions about these advanced topics through the discussion board, which kind of formatting wise was similar to like a Facebook news feed um, with replies. And I just thought, wow, like if we can, I I didn't feel like anything was lost in that experience. I didn't feel anything was lacking from us not all being physically in the same room at the same time. So I already had an interest in pushing online education, especially in medical education and residency training. And even before COVID, I had created an online lecture that would be previewing for our first year medical students. The topic was motivational interviewing and the other topic was substance abuse and alcohol abuse disorders. And we flipped the classroom so that they view this online lecture. And then in our traditional lecture time, it was much more interactive because then we would demonstrate and role play. And then students could ask us much more detailed questions about our professional experience using these tools. So I already felt like that was a really great way to maximize the learner's time, getting the knowledge, like the basic knowledge ahead of time, and then having that time with the content expert be much more high yield um, and much more personal and tailored to what the students' questions were. The trouble that I found with that is that um, I think our medical school is fantastic, but there's inertia. 
and the the level of um, oversight that needs to happen to change a curriculum that's traditionally been done with in-person lectures and in-person small groups, it was hard to overcome that inertia. So then when COVID happened, it was like, surprise, everyone across the country all of a sudden has to do everything completely online. And although that was difficult, you know, a little stressful doing that with short notice, I I saw it as an opportunity because I'm like, well, here we go. We have basically like a living Petri dish for us to try out these things. Um, I was the block director for um, the medical statistics, epidemiology and public health block, um, which the, the block started about three days after we were notified that everything had to be online. So we did our entire course with online distance learning, um, online lectures. Um, The students meet in weekly small groups with a faculty facilitator that was all done via live sessions in small groups over Zoom. And it worked pretty well. And I was was really pleased with it. So I'm, I'm excited, actually, to see where this goes in the future. I see a lot of benefits to online education, and we're obviously just at the beginnings of it. So I'm excited to explore it more. It, it seemed like a lot of people admitted that, you know, online education is a thing. These Zoom meetings are a thing. I think I'm going to have to learn this technology to stay viable. And uh, so it was really interesting to see a lot of people embrace technology where they had been resistant before. And the resistance made some sense because this stuff can be complicated and it always feels like we can break something. But it sounds like you have you have the ability to to jump in there and help guide people to feel less ill at ease with technology. I think having done it as a participant gave me a lot of enthusiasm for it because I know that myself as a learner, it worked well and was still engaging and exciting. And I learned a lot. There were some challenges. Um, mostly on the tech side, especially balancing the need to have security. So the, sometimes there was some, um, some challenges with difficulty um, being the host of a session and being able to record when that interfered with some of our security issues. So it required a really close working relationship with IT. So I give a ton of credit to our IT department and the student coordinators, like the the clerkship and the block coordinators, um, we had to work really tightly as a team. It did take us a few weeks to figure out what needed to happen so that we could meet all of our goals and have it run smoothly. Once we figured that out, it was it was great. So teamwork is key because clearly, like I am not the tech expert behind the scenes that has to know about security and like the coding and things that go into that. So I'm really grateful for how nimble our IT team was and our, our coordinators. Uh, so you said you dealt with both med- medical students and residents. Um, did you find that medical students were really open to online education? Um, how did you keep them engaged? I think medical students, well, one, they kind of had to be open. <laughs> there was no other option. But I think they were. Um my sense is that a lot of medical students who are especially from um, a millennial or iGen generation were already used to doing so many things online. We shop online. I'm including myself. I'm technically an early millennial or a late, a late an early millennial. Yeah, I suppose I would be. Um, you know, you're, when you're already used to doing a lot of your communicating online um, and using social media and shopping online, and um, I don't think it's that big of a stretch. People date online. I, I think it, it kind of is a, a natural flow. Certainly, it 
there's certain content that works better than others. Um, I wasn't the director for anatomy. The anatomy course had more challenges converting that to an online platform. But statistics, epidemiology, and public health worked really well. So I think the what the students appreciated was that the content was still there. They were still having that same access to lectures. Um, they still had really good access to their faculty facilitators, either via, um, we used a mix of whatever the student preferred. We were very open with email and we'd respond to emails within 24 hours. We also used the Canvas discussion thread so that students could post direction um, questions to that. Or sometimes if a student emailed a question privately, but it was a really good question for the whole group to hear, we would make it anonymous and post it so that the entire student body can see the question and the answer and our thought process. So I think that degree of transparency and, um, and addressing questions quickly helps. Um, without that, I can see how it would have been very isolating. Um, I imagine being a student who had to move back to their home state many miles away. You don't have your buddies around you to ask a quick question, to figure things out together. So you have to somehow um, enable that, that ability to ask questions and interact in other formats. For statistics and epidemiology and public health, it worked really well. So did you run into situations where, um, let's say a medical student may not have had technology that could support uh, distance learning? That is something to consider because obviously if your internet connection isn't great, that's a problem. For the most part, it worked okay. Um, sometimes on the Zoom sessions for small group, that, that's meant to be eight students with one faculty facilitator. And if the internet connection isn't good, it helps if they turned their video off and just used audio, which still works, but you do lose something as an educator. Um, you know, you, you would look around the room and look to see if people are nodding to indicate they understand or if they look puzzled. And so losing that um, is a barrier. I've also had other students who had to get creative and use their phone as a hotspot and like generate their own Wi-Fi. So it worked pretty well. We didn't have any students who had severely limited access. Um, a lot of our students were still here in Columbia and just they weren't allowed to come to campus. But some of our students went back to their home state. I don't have a lot of answers for areas where there really is like an internet desert. I have a thought, um, my, and I, I think I've heard some buzz from our medical school leadership going forward, like should there be some kind of fund that provides some kind of um, wireless hotspot for students, just like you would normally um, include that in their technology fees and, you know, that you'd be expected to buy books and whatever, and that would be factored into how much loans they receive, something about making sure that they have internet access. That's really good to hear. So for students who are learning uh, remotely, we have the issue of grades or evaluations. Um, how, do you approach, how do you approach a student's learning in terms of evaluation and grading? Our evaluation and grading process was pretty much the same. Um, we have, for, this is for the, the medical students who are M1s and M2s. So the preclinical medical students, um, they get a um, professionalism grade um, or evaluation that's satisfactory or unsatisfactory from their facilitator. And then the rest of their grades is all comes down to the exam. So that, that really didn't change. We changed a little bit for the M2s. That usually has um, unsatisfactory, satisfactory, and honors. And just with all of the craziness and not having a lot of time to prepare, they just made it unsatisfactory, satisfactory. 
just because we just thought that would be the most fair all around and not shunting people out of the honors option. And I think that's going to be noted on the transcript that there was no option for honors for that block. In some ways, I don't feel like the evaluation process should change a lot. Um, To me, medical school is for adults. We are adult learners, um, hopefully very self-directed, hopefully very self-motivated to want to do our best um, just out of that intrinsic desire to learn and want to be excellent future doctors. I don't think that um, the online nature of things changed a lot of how I looked at evaluations. Um, I'm also reflecting on my experience precepting. I had a clinical um, M3 working with me in clinic, and that was a little different because for about six weeks, it was completely telehealth visits. I was at clinic, he was at his house, and we were Zooming in with patients who were at their home. But the same kind of things I looked for, they were the same. Like, were you prepared? Were you on time? Were you professional? Um, I made sure to observe patient communication directly. Um, I made sure to pay attention to the quality and organization of presentations to me in private. The only thing I couldn't comment on as much when we were doing Zoom visits was physical exam. But the other things that I really, that I look for in a successful student have to deal with um, just the amount of effort that you can see and the amount of learning that they take upon themselves, learning that I've suggested or that they, um, they recognize. I don't feel like it's that different. And I honestly, I, I have a sense that this is going to be so much more and more the norm that performing well um, and doing your best and being adaptable to an online situation is probably going to be important skills for a future physician who I expect might, in the future, we might do so much more of our jobs via telehealth. Do you have any advice for community faculty or preceptors who may be welcoming medical students back in to their clinics at this point? Um, Do you have recommendations for how they might facilitate a remote precepting experience? So a couple of pearls um, is one to have the, uh, the technology figured out on your end so you know how to direct the student. Probably set up a session ahead of time to make sure that everyone's equipment works, that we all know um, how to log on, log off, mute, adjust audio, things like that. And then um, telehealth visits are a little different than an in-person visit. There are some things you wouldn't think about. So like professionalism wise, I even caught myself once, like I grabbed my beverage and drank. I was like, oh, I wouldn't do that in clinic. So um, being mindful of some things on telehealth that can be professionalism, just simple things that you wouldn't think about. I, I think the, the biggest thing is having the, the familiarity with your platform and then being able to uh, make sure everyone knows how to use it. To that end, I also give a lot of credit to our staff at clinic because they figured it out really quickly and that made it possible for us to jump into telehealth visits very quickly. So um, have excellent staff who can understand the IT side of things too. But my clinical medical student jumped in and hit the ground running and did really, really well, became a really valuable member of the team. It it worked, again, it worked really well for the visits that, quite honestly, a lot of visits don't need a physical exam. If we're following up hypertension and they have a reliable blood pressure cuff at home, then that's a session on data collection. Um, I'm not worried about a murmur or something unusual with their cardiovascular or lung exam, I'm, I'm happy to do that via telehealth. And um, my student still got to think through what agents to use and what doses and thinking about side effects and monitoring just the same as they would in person. Oh, that's great. So do you see a place for medical students 
When everything shut down, a lot of medical students were sent home. Thus began our journey with distance learning and online education. Do you see a place for medical students to offer support with regards to technology, where let's say they might have a community preceptor who is less familiar or doesn't quite have a team? Do you see a place for medical students to help assist people with technology in this regard? Potentially. um, I'm always learning new things, and so I have learned a lot about new things. Actually, right now I'm working on a project, putting together a survey regarding the e-learning experience from the perspective of residency directors. And I'm working with a team of faculty at different institutions all over the country. And one of them is actually a fourth-year medical student. And he taught us how to create a shared uh, document file in Google Drive, which I had used Box. I'd never used Drive. And so every step of the way, he's been like, I'll set up the Drive folder, and this is how you edit it, and this is how we share it, and da, da, da. And it's been fantastic. So, you know, just like in life, we all bring different skills to the table. I think if you have a learner who has a skill that's a tech skill that you can benefit from or can help your practice, then gosh, go for it. Like, what a neat opportunity to have more tools in your toolbox. You know, we've heard a lot of stories about medical students being able to maintain some type of connection with their patients via telehealth. And I imagine there's also a real advantage to being able to maintain a connection with their, with their faculty as they're learning and striving. Um, what, what years of medical students did you see um, like taking advantage of online learning? Was it all, all the years of medical school or just the later ones? In some sense, online learning is not new for medical students at all. Um, at the University of Missouri, we our medical school was one of the pioneers in problem-based learning. And problem-based learning functions in that the students are presented with a, a case, a real case based on a real patient, and they work through the case together. And at the end of each session, they self-identify areas that they would like to learn more about. Then they divide up who's going to research what. They, they go home. They research the topic on certain diseases or medications or whatnot. And then when they meet back next session, they present what they found to each other. So they teach each other. So already, um, so what I hear is that back in the day when our library was full of books, students would go to the library and read a bunch of j- books and physical journals. But ever since I was a medical student, we would be on our laptops looking up articles on NEGIM and JAMA, um, checking out broad topics via UpToDate, AAFP, Dynamed. And so it was already online. Um, And our library now has almost no books. It's almost entirely workstations. So in that sense, from their very first day as an M1, our medical students are already using online learning in a self-directed sense, to a really large degree. So I, I do think that that helps make another transition, just that, you know, instead of physically being in a lecture hall, they were watching on their laptops at home. I think this is a natural transition for just the way our culture is moving and our um, reliance on technology, the benefits of technology. I think um Knowing how to look up information for yourself is another important skill for any physician because even in my clinical practice, at least, probably at least once a day, I'm double checking something that um, making sure I'm up to date or I'm learning more about or making double checking on a unique situation. So that's a lifelong skill. 
that I think our, our learners already had. So I think um, students will continue to use online learning in some way, shape, or form. I, I think in some sense they already have been. I think that's important for us to hear. I think there's a lot of skepticism surrounding technology and surrounding online education in particular. And so to hear that this is something that, A, is already sort of naturally built in to their experience makes a situation like we experienced back in March something that we can handle and tolerate and adapt to that much more easily. So given where we're at right now, where we have a lot of the states opening, we have businesses allowing people back in, how are you preparing for potential further shutdowns if, if we were to have to shut down again? How are you preparing your curricula for that? So my curriculum is in the spring. So the folks who have their curriculum in the fall are having very different discussions. And it is unclear what will be recommended and what will be safe. I think at the moment, our medical school is planning on going back to business as usual with in-person lectures and sessions, but knowing that at any time, we could be in the same situation of having to do things remotely. And they're still talking about that. And I, I wouldn't be the person who ultimately makes those decisions. And that's a big decision. I'm really glad we have really fantastic leaders who are making those decisions. But I know that we're all thinking ahead to contingency plans. Like if, if COVID resurges in our area and we need to scale back in-person um, visits and in-person learning sessions, how do we do that? I think the benefit is that we've already had this trial run and we've already been able to learn from successes and challenges. Um, our medical school is being really mindful and intentional about how to learn from this the best. They've sent out surveys um, repeatedly to students and faculty and block directors and um, educators at all levels to really delve into what was the experience like, what worked, what didn't, and why. So I think they're still in the process of analyzing that data. So I don't have a firm answer, um, but I have confidence that we'll be able to handle things um, and give a, a great educational experience regardless of what outside our control happens. Oh, sure. Because we're, we're doing a lot of these podcasts and interviews um, in the middle of our current experiences, we see that we're constantly reflecting in the moment as opposed to being able to remove ourselves from a situation and go, let's see how that went. I think it's, it's good. I think it helps give our colleagues across the nation just they can see this is something that we can all approach. We can all do this and uh, we can all be ready for it. So before we, we wrap up, did you have uh, last thoughts you wanted to give or any other pearls you wanted to share? I think going forward, I would like to see more, more curricula develop and more resources um, to know how to use that effectively. Um, having done a literature search, it seems like there's been a lot of small curricula developed for individual groups like preclinical medical students or residents, and it's been for scattered topics, like there's this topic and that topic. Um, and there's actually a lot of resources out there. Um, STFM has a repository of online resources, um, but it's hard to navigate. So I would like to see more people using it and sharing those resources and having some kind of mainstream way um, for educators to 
not have to reinvent the wheel. I think there's already been successful online curricula developed for a large variety of topics aimed at a large variety of learners, but not a lot of guidance on what to use and what's going to be most effective for your program and your learners. So going forward, um, I think we're going to, it's part of the, the way of the future and organizing that and really distilling down what works and having um, a smooth way for those resources to be utilized would, would help a lot. And it would be easier, right? Like we don't need to reinvent the wheel if our colleagues have already done something successful. Um, why not? Why not share those resources? But how do you find it? Like, how do you know that that exists already? How do you know if it's going to work for you? Well, Dr. Ludenschlader, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, your knowledge about online education. Well, this has been really exciting and fun. Thanks for talking with me about it. Thank you for listening to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons. You can access all of our episodes at stfm.org slash podcasts or subscribe through any of the major podcast providers, such as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 